Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon, and we're going to start this week by going back to the start of the season. The beginning of the season, World Snooker Tour website asked a few pundits in the game uh, for various predictions, and one of them was uh, a surprise package of the season. So who might come through and might even threaten to win a tournament? I'm just going to read this, okay? So this person went for Chris Wakelin, and they said, He's much improved. He produced an incredible display against Stephen Hendry at the English Open last season, making two total clearances. 30 years ago, the world number 60-something would never have been capable of that. These players ranked 32 to 64 are far better than they used to be. They're all dangerous. Chris is one of the players who's made a conscious effort to work on his fitness to try and make changes which will help give him an edge. I think a long run in a tournament is coming. Now, who who wrote that? Well, modesty forbids me going any further, but the fact is Chris Wakelin is the shootout champion. He's won a ranking event. He came through in Leicester with that wonderful break in the... In the final, 119, highest break of the whole tournament, beat Julian Leclerc. And, you know, somebody, I'm not going to say who, because, you know, modesty and all that, somebody tipped him. <laughs> so, well done to Chris. And, um, yeah, absolutely fantastic. He was actually 47 in the world when he won it. Uh, he'd only won £14,500 the whole season. So, you know, it's, it's a life-changing amount, actually. 55000 because the high-break prize is in there as well, plus... All the uh, spin-offs that are coming his way. He's qualified for Germany and Wales, so it looks like he's more than likely to be in the Players' Championship. So obviously, he's another ten thousand guaranteed there, and he's on that list for the Champion of Champions. That's twelve and a half thousand, assuming he does get in that. So, you know, financially, it's massive, but just the achievement of winning a trophy. He's been a pro ten years. He's not been plain sailing. He's had some difficult times, as everyone has. Um, he's one of those players. I think he's well liked on the tour. He's sort of been plodding away and, you know, has has kept going and has found some genuine form. I mean, the shootout, people say it's a lottery. Luck does play a part. I mean, Julian Leclerc, you know, didn't get a look in the final. But it's not just luck. You do need to be smart. You need to be a quick thinker. And you need to be able to pop the balls like any form of the game. And Chris did that. And, yeah, he was the worthy winner. Congratulations to him. It's nice to see someone from the middle ranks coming through and just changing their fortunes pretty much overnight. And if you saw the interviews that were done with him on Eurosport and Will Snooker Tour, you can see it meant a lot to him. 
his coach has been unwell, he's been ill. Chris dedicated it to him, Gary Morris, and uh, he's talking about now, you know, how this is, is sort of corner turn for him, and now he can focus now on on what's ahead. So well done to him, and uh, we're going to reflect on the shootout because we've, we, it, it has uh, been uh, well received, I think, in general. But people have got their own opinions on it, quite rightly. So let's uh, let's go first of all to Tom Milliard because he's actually been to the event, and we like to hear from people who've been to the shootout. So Tom says. Uh, I'm just back to my cousin's house after a day out in Leicester to see the final day of the shootout. By the way, just to say, uh, in case you have, in case the penny hasn't dropped from anybody, I'll just break off on Tom's email. That was me that tipped Chris Wakelin. <laughs> just to be absolutely clear, that was me. Anyway, I, I, please don't read the other predictions I made because they haven't been so successful. Anyway, we continue. It says, just back to my cousin's house after a day out in Leicester to see the final day of the shootout. Just wanted to say what a cracking day it turned out to be and what an excellent venue the Morningside Arena is. Having seen snooker in three other venues, Watford, the Temperdrome in Berlin and Brentwood earlier this season, I must say Leicester is the best. A spacious fan zone, extremely well-organised bar, food area and staff. Good-sized crowd and stands, plus easy walking distance from a major city. Food options make it a good venue for snooker. Just to break in there, I must, um, I'm glad you said about the venue because Dave Clayton runs it. Big Dave there. Great guy. Always looks after us at the Championship League. He genuinely cares about... The customer experience, the fan experience. He's, he's always talking about how it can be improved and what can be done. So I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased that you that you enjoyed uh, the, the venue there. Tom continues, what an event it was for storylines with big breaks across the final day and a deserved win for Chris Wakelin, who really dug in for his matches leading into the final. Anyone who believes the shootout is a lottery isn't quite right, in my opinion. While it's possible for most players to win one or two games, you certainly need to play a certain type of match and be a certain level of player to win seven in a row. Three former winners in the final eight suggest there's a way to be more successful at this format. Anyway, thanks for the podcast and your entertaining commentary alongside Alan and Neil across the event. A knowledgeable team is certainly required in the comms box across this event, and the Eurosport team delivered an excellent product. Well, thank you, Tom. It's very kind of you. Yes, I think you're right to what you say about... Um, there's a certain type of player who does well in it, and we saw Michael Holt. You know, I mean, he's not even on the tour now, and you know, hasn't been playing competitively that much. But he came to the party in a big way in the event. Um, went deep in the event. Obviously, Dominic Dale, Michael White. You know, former winners. It's no accident that. Um, and it's interesting the players that do do well in it. Having said that, of course, Julian Leclerc is a first season professional, and he very nearly won the whole thing. So. He's not quite. He doesn't quite fit into that category of the really experienced players. But uh, yeah, I think you know you, you do need a something, a certain something about you to uh, you know to, to do well in the shootout. Uh, Ricky Moss has also uh, been watching. He said, "I'm writing in immediately after Chris Wakelin's fantastic performance in the final, and the shootout in general was compelling viewing. Players we don't get to see all the time on the TV tables. Special mention for the spaceman who had a great tournament, Julian Leclerc." And Vladislav Gradinari wants to look out for in the future. Maybe this would just be the boost of confidence Wakelin needed to start pushing further up the rankings. Special mention to you and Folsey, fully cementing your place as the best commentary duo in snooker. Well, again, thank you for that. Not everyone will agree, but uh, I'll take it. Uh, it says, a quick one, uh, one other thing. Having made the highest break in the final, as prize money is effectively ranking points, does the high break prize count towards ranking points, or is it just purely a financial bonus? Uh, no, it doesn't count towards the rankings. He gets the money, so he gets the 5,000, but the 50,000 first prize counts towards the rankings. High break prizes don't. Now, there's an argument they should, but that is, really is another argument, um, which we won't, we won't detain ourselves net with now. Uh, still on the shootout, Andy in Nottingham. He says, I write to you on the eve of this year's snooker shootout. Easily the most di divisive event on the calendar. 
Whilst I wouldn't consider it my favourite event, I always find it highly entertaining and believe that its mere existence is good for the game. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> there is, however, that's not in his email, that's me clearing my throat. Anyway, there is, however, one thing about the event that bugs me. Why is it no longer broadcast on free-to-air television in the UK? I believe I'm right in thinking that the shootout used to be broadcast on Quest as well as Eurosport, but that no longer appears to be the case. Why is this? I assume that a big reason for why the shootout exists in the first place is to appeal to a new audience of viewers that may not have seen snooker before or who may have a preconception that the sport is old-fashioned and boring. Much like how the 100 has been invented to alter perceptions of cricket in this country and attract a new, mainly younger audience. With this in mind, surely only having the shootout available on the subscription-based Eurosport and Discovery Plus is a missed opportunity. With those platforms alone, one would think that the majority of the audience is probably already a snooker fan. And if they're a die-hard traditionalist fan, chances are they probably don't watch the shootout anyway. Either way, you're mainly just preaching to the choir rather than exposing the sport to a new, potentially wider audience. As the man on the inside, it would be good to hear if you have any views or insight on the matter. Well, I'm not sure I'm on the inside of anything. But anyway, uh, well, I don't know why it's not on Quest. I assume, and this is an assumption, but I assume they don't see themselves as a sports channel. So they don't want to give over four days to sport. You know, they are they are a specific channel showing specific types of programmes. Um, and they have a specific audience for that. And maybe they don't want to be think, thought of as a sports channel. When they've had snooker on there, it's done well, I know that much. But um, uh, in terms of the other... Uh, I'm going to actually be slightly controversial here, Andy, if you don't mind. There's actually no such thing as free-to-air television. It's a phrase that's used often. Television is not free. To watch television in the UK, you have to pay a BBC licence fee. So there, there straight away is 150-odd quid that you have to pay. Now, for that, you do get you know hundreds of channels through the free, Freeview service that are thought of as free. But it's not strictly true that they are. But I know what you mean. They are mass, in theory, mass audience channels. ITV showed the shootout for a while, um, but then they got offered the tour championship and they preferred that instead because they see that as a more kind of, um, I suppose, credible product. Um, the BBC, but I don't know if they've been offered the shootout, but they haven't seemed to show any interest in it. Um, so I understand what you're saying, but what I would say is, of course, it's not just a British audience. Eurosport, the great power of Eurosport is that it goes to 60 countries around Europe. Now, I believe it is a free package in some countries. I, I'm not going to try and uh, sort of list them because I'm not absolutely sure which ones because it does change uh, here and there. But the, the reach of Eurosport and the value of Eurosport should not be underestimated. It goes to 60 countries. We saw the young lad, didn't we? You, uh, Vladislav Gradinari, 14, from Moldova. Where did he see snooker? He saw it on television um, and is now you know, making a name for himself in a big way. Um, so... I would argue that the value of Eurosport to this event is actually considerable. It's taken the shootout around the world. And, um, you know, it, it, Discovery Plus, I, I, about a year ago now that uh, I, I flagged up the fact you could get it for, I think it was 30 or 40 quid for the whole year. Uh, a great bargain. But anyway, I, I, I understand what you're saying. And the 100 is a good example uh, in cricket. Another quite divisive event that has had some BBC coverage. And it certainly has helped establish that as a credible thing. So I, I understand the point. But... Uh, I think the value of Eurosport outside of Britain should not be uh, should not be underestimated. Now we have Dave Tyndall, friend of the podcast, friend of other podcasts as well. But that, that's that's fine. He can uh, in his spare time he can uh, he can do what he likes. <laughs> uh, now Dave says this: after a stra- second straight year of watching just about every shot of the snooker shootout, I can say for sure it's now one of my favourite tournaments of the year. Seeing and getting to know so many players that were previously only names on a list of results is massively appealing. But my biggest takeaway this year, and one with wider ramifications, was the reaction of my teenage kids. 
They're not into snooker, but were happy to have it on while we ate our tea as they were intrigued by the crowd noise and shot clock. By Saturday, my son was asking me to give him a shout when Poomjang was on. But not only did my son enjoy Poomjang's antics, he also started to talk to me about strategy and tactics while watching other matches. Real evidence right there that the shootout is an ideal gateway into the game. I can't help but think that the future is right under our noses. I'm a traditionalist in many ways, but I honestly think the snooker shootout should be the start of a whole new tour and not just an annual novelty showpiece. This is snooker's version of 2020 cricket. This is what will get kids into the game, not fretting over what shirts to wear while still playing the same old events. So this is my proposal. Whittle down the current main tour to maybe 12 events, but concurrently run a shootout tour that gives lots of opportunities to younger up-and-coming players those who have fallen off the main tour, or even established top 32 stars who want to change things up. When even Fergal O'Brien can do well in this quick format, you know it's still proper snooker. Just proper snooker, speed it up. Sure, there are issues to discuss. Could the format be tweaked ever so slightly? Could the crowd be quietened down a tad? But I'm just putting it out there. Cricket has red ball and white ball versions. Can snooker follow a similar path and really get behind a shorter format that is perfect for TV, just as Pop Black was all those years ago? Well, some interesting thoughts there from Dave. I mean, my instinctive reaction is I don't think a shootout tour would be a good idea because I actually think the great selling point of it is that it is a novelty event. And it's a novelty event because there's so little of it, just four days a year. Now, could it possibly be extended so that we go to a country like Germany or or in, in good time China and have an event there? Possibly, yeah. And you could tag it on to an existing tournament, you know, have it just before, maybe. But I think we need to be careful not to overexpose this because I think, like anything, you know, you can have too much of a good thing. I'm also not in favour of reducing the current tour to make way for more shootout events. I do agree with you that, you know, we need to look at, I mean, you mentioned your own teenage children. We do need to look at, you know, how we make snooker more kind of accessible um, to a younger audience, you know, because it's quite a forbidding game just to, to, to actually go and play. I mean, a, a frame of snooker, if you're no good at it, is no fun. It's not like pool, you know, where you can sort of, it, it, there's a fun element built in and it won't last too long. Snooker, a frame of snooker, if you're no good, and Dave would know this because he refereed the talking snooker matches. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy. Um, so my instinctive reaction is there's possibly room for more, but not a whole circuit. Um, I don't really see that as being a, being a sort of um, a goer. I think people will get sick of it, actually, if there's too much of it. I think the fact that we have these four days a year, it gives it comes at a good time in the season. It's just after the halfway mark. It's a bit of a shot in the arm, and then we get on with the serious stuff leading into the World Championship. That's my view. I'd be interested to hear, though, whether other people think more shootouts would be a positive thing for snooker or not. Just on the shootout in general... What, one thing I do feel is that snooker, what it is guilty of, and I don't mean world snooker here, I mean the sport itself and kind of all sides of it, we do stand still a little bit. The event can be moved on a little bit. I think, you know, it's very familiar now. Um, you know, even the chants are familiar, the sort of, the setup is familiar. I think we need to keep on innovating and the, the actual rules and the, and the format of play I think is fine, but I think there's more that can be done to make it kind of the people's tournament. That's really what it should be billed as. It's a different kind of event. You're not expected to go and sit there quietly. It attracts maybe a different sort of crowd, although I think a lot of snooker fans do enjoy it as well. And I think they need to keep innovating. And one criticism I would make is I think 
we'll, what World Snooker too often do is they look at what they did last year and say, okay, you know, that's the plan again for this year. Why not make more of the crowd? I mean, okay, they they cheer they cheer and, and whatever, but just basic. And this is going to this is sort of leads into what I'm going to talk about later. Okay, I don't. There's a lot of people in snooker and in the world in general. But, you know, it's a snooker podcast. A lot of people who love to tell us what the problems are, but don't have any solutions. So I'm not just going to list problems. I'm going to come up with some practical solutions. So, for example, you go to the darts, you're handed a bit of, bit of card and a pen, and you write something amusing on it, and you hold it up, and the camera comes on you, and it's all, you know, it's all part of it. So we could do that at the shootout. Knowing snooker fans, it'd actually be quite funny, some of the things they write on there. Um, get the crowd more involved between matches. Send us a selfie from the crowd. We'll put it on the screen. You know, you know who you sat with. Maybe you could you could send a, a, a selfie with something you've written on the player you're supporting. What about fancy dress like they do at the darts? Why not just try and mix it up a bit instead of kind of just settling for it always being kind of the same thing? There's lots of little ideas like that that they could incorporate just to sort of make it more of a people's torment. And certainly, social media has its part to play. I thought World Snooker's social media during the event was no good. Basically, it wasn't there wasn't enough of it. It didn't sort of suggest to the outside world that this was a different sort of event, a vibrant event. There was one night they only put two tweets out the whole evening. It's not good enough, you know. And this event, more than any other, is about engagement. It's about engaging fans, not just the fans at the venue, but outside as well. And that's what you want. You want them to get involved from their seats, you know, not just cheering and shouting out, but actually being part of the event, as I say, show some of the best messages on the screens in the arena, you know, kind of make it a bit more vibrant like that. Um, and my feeling is, and this won't happen because of contractual um, things, because they can only run two events. But I think if Matchroom got hold of this, they would really take it to another level. The shootout event. I think if Emily Fraser and her team got hold of this, it would actually it would be the same fun, but actually there would be so much more to it than just those ten minute matches. And from a fan ex- uh, perspective, I know people enjoy going to it, but I think it would even be even more enjoyable. Um, but anyway, there's a few ideas that may. Uh, who knows, if anyone's listening, they may want to uh, incorporate. Now, last week, Lewis Perney wrote in uh, regarding these replacement of balls. He'd come up with his own uh, methods on his website, and he says, thanks for reading out my previous email last week. Perhaps the most worthwhile thing to explore on snookerlewis.com is the ELO rankings, not least because there may be snooker scene podcast listeners who are un- unknowingly on that list, which has over 7,500 players. If official rankings used an approach like this, we could have ranking tournaments at all levels of all sizes. Perhaps that would have saved the Turkish Masters. Please don't say it isn't going to happen. That's defeatist. More than ever, we have a vigorous debate about snooker's future, and that starts with you. Well, I know about that, but anyway. It says, I'll be in Berlin next week, giving my support to a valuable tournament, which is still on the calendar, if only just. I remain a devoted follower. Uh, well, it's not only just on the calendar, it's on the calendar. Um, a new ranking system wouldn't save the Turkish Masters because it's not defeatist. It's just the real world. The real in the real world, that tournament went because of money, and everything comes to money. It doesn't matter what the ranking system is. It doesn't matter what anything is. If the money's not in place, you know you can't put tournaments on. And this seems to pass a lot of people by uh, from some of the things I've been reading in the last week about the Turkish Masters. People seem to think there's a magic money tree, and if you shake it, you can have 25 new tournaments. And it's just complete pie-in-the-sky nonsense. In terms of your ranking uh, uh, system, the ELO rankings, I was disappointed Jeff Lynn wasn't top of it. And that's a niche joke. That's a niche joke. Um, I, 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 I've discussed the ranking system before. I don't think the current one is the right one, um, and I do think it will change. Um, but uh, I don't think it's going to change overnight. But I think sort of we're edging towards a change because I think... 
the uh, the format of tournaments is going to change. The, I'm going to make a prediction here. You mentioned the German Masters. This will be the last German Masters played under the tiered format. It's going to go back to what it uh, what it should be, which is the top 16 at the venue. The promoters of that tournament, you know, they're not putting, they're not doing this for something to do. They obviously want to make money back. That's the whole point. It's a business. Okay. What's the best chance of making money is to get recognisable players who people actually want to watch playing in the tournament. Now we know that the German fans love snooker. But they're going to more likely to buy tickets if they can watch Ronnie O'Sullivan and Judd Trump, guaranteed, and all the other top players, guaranteed. People can still qualify for it, and some top players have made it through, and good luck to all the guys who made it through, Chris Wakel included. But from a business sense, it makes more sense to have the top 16 and 16 qualifiers at the Tampa Drum. And my prediction is that will happen next year, and I think it will start to happen more and more in other tournaments. And for that reason, the ranking system is going to have to change because it doesn't the, the, those changes don't really support a moneyless system. Um, but anyway, that's my prediction. You can check out Lewis has got a website. To do, to, uh, I gave the address last week. You can check out his uh, his ideas there, snookerlewis.com. Uh, and you may be on that ranking list. Um, but whether you are or not, that's not going to magic up new tournaments, I'm afraid, because the, the world just doesn't work like that. What you need is you need a, a, a independent promoters, you need links to broadcasters, you need credible sponsors. You need uh, a proper venue to sell tickets. You know, it's all a lot of money and a lot of work. And uh, that really takes us to, I suppose, the other big news of the week, which is the Turkish Masters being cancelled, which has been mentioned there. And let's go to Alpha Bonzi, because he always asks some interesting questions. So three questions. He said, the shoot shootout isn't for me. So my three questions this week won't touch on that. But I hope they're thought-provoking enough to be read out on the podcast anyway. Number one, what went wrong with the Turkish Masters? How do we go from Turkey winning a second event to being none at all. Well, I'll answer that. I did answer that last week. What went wrong with the Turkish Masters uh, is that the promoters couldn't pay the money that they owed to World Snooker. They still owe them from last year. One of the reasons, as I mentioned last year, and this is a, there's a kind, of, kind of been a perfect storm. It's not so much COVID. It's more the uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Antalya, where the Turkish Masters is held, is a tourist result resort. Um, which is heavily dependent on Russian tourism. And obviously a lot of that dried up because of what's happening. So therefore the, the, the local economy has suffered and therefore the money that they thought they would raise for the event, they haven't. And World Snooker Tour, because they still owe money from last year, couldn't sanction the event going ahead this year and just adding to the debt effectively. Um, I'm not saying anyone's to blame for that. It's just that it's issues with the world, with cost of living, um, you know, these are real world issues and, and, and as I say, it comes, always comes back to money and the money isn't there at the moment to support the event. Number two, with the, these are Alpha's questions. With the Gibraltar Open and Riga Masters having also disappeared, what future is there for the sport in continental Europe? Well, it's a, it's a fair question. Um, it, it's never really been explained why those events have gone. Riga obviously was in the midst of Covid, but you know, there's been no sign of going back there. Uh, Gibraltar, just disappeared and there was no explanation as why there was a lot of talk we'll have a replacement event on somewhere that's not happened so that's a there's a fair question david caulfield um from snooker hq wrote a good piece listing the various sort of events that had been on and and, and had disappeared and this is i think something that needs to be looked into why did we go to so many places and then not go back to them so we had a european tour of, of small events. The idea was to grow snooker in those areas and try and put on bigger events, but it never quite happened. 
And we did visit certain places. I mean, we had a tournament in Austria, a ranking event, but we kind of never went back there, you know, Romania and, 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 and Bulgaria and various places. We never sort of cultivated it. And, the, and further afield, we've had an Australian Open, we've had an Indian Open. Um, we've had these tournaments that have been on in certain places and then have sort of dried up. And now part of that is COVID, but that's not the only reason. Obviously in China at the moment, that is the reason. Um, but we've gone to a lot of parts of the globe we sort of set down, you know, we, we planted our sort of tent and then we've kind of packed up again and gone home. Um, and that is a concern. I think you can't criticise Will Snooker for taking the Chinese money. It would have been irresponsible not to because there's so much of it. But the fact that COVID has cost us those events for now has exposed the fact that we were really dependent on that market. And maybe we have neglected properly exploring other markets and now the chickens have come home to roost because we're without the Chinese events and we're also without a lot of those European events that have been on and, and are no longer on. Um, but again, it comes down to money. And if the money was there in China, of course they were going to take that. And maybe they felt, well, we don't need to explore, you know, every avenue in Europe because, you know, we've got a, we've got a thriving circuit as it, as it is. Um, but it's disappointing to see another tournament go. The Turkish Masters, you know, was a promising event. It was announced as a five-year deal. It's only been on once. We don't know if it'll be on again. We can't say at this point. Um, but let's go to the third question from Alpha, which is, despite the revival of the classic, is Anthony Hamilton and others right about the game starting to go backwards since the new regime took charge of World Snooker? This is the WST Classic. So this has been um, announced as a replacement for the Turkish Masters. Uh, this is actually, I think... A really positive move. This is not some, you know, tin pot event. It's eighty thousand to the winner. It's it's like a home nations in terms of prize money. Um, I think it's you know, and they're going to be losing half a million. Will Snooker putting that on? So that is it's not it's not nothing. I think criticism of that is completely misguided. This is an opportunity for the players to play, and hopefully this will be shown somewhere as well for Snooker fans to watch. Whether people can go along and watch in person in Leicester, I don't know. It's not been confirmed yet. But, um, you know, this is, it's a good move to have it on. Put it, put it this way, it's better to have it on than not have it on. But in terms of, has the game gone backwards? The game hasn't gone backwards. There's two things we need to separate out. Snooker as a sport hasn't gone backwards. The administration of it, you could argue, has. But there's been a lot of major challenges that have come along. COVID is the big one. That was the kind of start of the trouble. The cost of living crisis and the complications from the Ukraine situation have also impacted the sport. There's, you know, there's no two ways about it. And the other sports have found this as well. Um, some of the comments from players, listen, Anthony, I completely respect. He's been a professional, you know, over 30 years and he is speaking from a position of being a player sort of down the rankings who is seeing playing opportunities dwindle. And that is very, very understandable that he would be concerned by that. There's certain players who, after the shootout, until this new classic event was announced, had the prospect of no snooker at all until the World Championship qualifiers. And this is in the meat of the season, because they're not in the events, you know, the reduced field events, and they may have been knocked out of qualifiers for Germany and Wales, uh, the Welsh Open. So, you know, and I completely understand these people have got bills to pay, and, of course, that's a massive concern. And I've said before, you know, if World Snooker can make money from streaming qualifiers... Does it not follow that they could make money from streaming much lower um, tariff events, sort of PTC-style events? Is it viable? And I don't know the answer to this, by the way. I don't have the, the sort of the, the books in front of me, the finances in front of me. But is, would it be viable to have 
you know, three or four PTC-style events you could stream, that would pay for themselves through streaming, uh, that you could send to the bookmaking websites as well and make money from. Is that viable? If it is, I'm sure they're looking into it. You know, they're not just sort of sat, you know, doing nothing. Um, but there is definitely a sort of disparity in the amount of snooker available for players at the top of the game and players lower down. Now, one of the reasons for that is the players at the top of the game, you know, obviously are the best players and they win matches and they get into these other events. But I understand what Anthony's saying. But the game itself, I mean, Stephen Maguire made an absurd statement. He said the game is dying. It isn't. It's just a fact. It isn't. You look at the Masters, packed every day, shootout packed every day, viewing figures are fantastic. Will Snooker Tour have long-term broadcast contracts that go until at least 2027 and are likely in the main to be renewed, I'm sure, beyond that. So they have guaranteed revenue coming in through television. They have guaranteed revenue through ticket sales. They have sponsorship revenue coming in, streaming revenue coming in. The, the game is not dying. It's not in financial trouble the challenge, though, is how do you re-establish a thriving circuit that the players have become used to? Much more thriving. It's still now much more thriving than it was before Barry Hearn took over, by the way. And let's not forget, that nearly didn't happen because a lot of these players tried to stop him. A lot of these players would have carried on with the same failed system that was in before. Okay, so let's not forget about that. Um, but how do you, how do we move forward? And as I've said before, we can't just sort of cross our fingers and hope China comes back. What is the plan B? We still don't know. Will Snooker not very forthcoming in, in letting people know sort of what the plans are or what the hopes are. Jason Ferguson, the WPBC chairman, always speaks very well and, uh, you know, he's, he's at the forefront as a former player of trying to get more opportunities. But no, the game is not dying. The game is going through turbulence, I think it's fair to say. But it has the systems in place to come out the other side. And, you know, maybe in a couple of years' time, all the Chinese events are back and we're back on the road again. Now, it's easy for me to say that because I'm not a player down the rankings who is struggling because there's not enough tournaments for me to play in to pay the mortgage. I get that. And I do, I do understand why players are concerned. But equally, players have a part to play themselves. Steve Maguire, for example, is... He's known on the circuit as being someone who doesn't particularly engage with the media unless he has to. Players have to do mandatory media. Some do much more than they have to. Some do very little. And players have their own part to play. There were two well-known players who were supposed to do a school visit in Cheltenham. They cried off. They didn't do it. Sean Murphy did it, and he did it brilliantly because Sean is a great ambassador and he understands that that is all part of it. But a lot of snooker players seem to think it's up to other people to promote the game. They, th you know, it's like sort of, it's like throwing a crisp packet on 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 the on the on the street, and then complaining that the streets are dirty because no one else has picked it up. You know, you've got to play your part as well, and some players do. A lot of players do actually, but quite a few don't. Quite a few players think that it's up to everyone else to provide opportunities for them. For example, why don't these players, particularly the top players, have their own YouTube channel? That would be a way of promoting themselves, maybe getting some sponsorship, making more of a name for themselves, spreading the snooker word. Some do. Mark Williams set one up. Credit to Mark for doing that. Michael Holt has got his own one. He's not even on the tour, but he uses it for coaching. Stephen Hendry probably got the best one. But there's a lot of top players who, you know, household names who, who don't have any of that stuff. And it seems to me they can do a lot more as well um, to help the game thrive. At the moment, there's sort of the suggestion that some players just sort of are sitting waiting for other people to make things happen, but life's not like that. You've got to make things happen yourself. 
Um, we go back to, to Sean, Sean Murphy. You know, he's established himself now as a broadcaster. And he, he's done that because, obviously, he's interested in doing it, but also because he's always been really good with the media, and it's a bit like Ken Doherty, the same. Because they've been good with the media, the media recognise that they are viable people who can do that job. Now, if you've been standoffish with the media your whole career, they're unlikely to come knocking on your door to do things like that, and that's a stream of income for you that is closed off. So, as I say, it's... You know, th- th- there's a number of challenges, but we all in the sport have to meet them. Fans as well, you know? We all have a part to play. It's not just... There's not just, you know, this sort of... These sort of faceless authoritarians running the sport and it's all up to them. It's up to all of us. Now, that's not to say, you know, that th- there's no criticisms to level. I think one of the issues for me is that Steve Dawson, who's the chairman of World Snooker Tour, obviously he's followed Barry... Barry, we know what sort of character he is. He fronts up, he, you know, he's got a lot to say and he, and he says it very entertainingly. Steve's not like that. He's always been in the background. And so we don't hear from him. And because we don't hear from him, the, 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 the problem is it, it looks like things aren't happening. Now, I'm sure he's working really hard and I'm sure they're all working really hard to try and get the circuit back on track. But they're not very forthcoming with <laughs> letting, letting people know what they're doing. And I'm, I'm sure players find that frustrating because they just get sent the calendar and they look at it and they think, well, when's my next tournament? Um, there are certainly issues uh, we already discussed about, you know, the places we've been to that we, we sort of haven't been back to. I think there are issues around um, establishing identities for the tournaments we do have. We mentioned them last week with the guys talking about venues. If you move around venues, it's hard to get an event established um, and, and get it sort of in the public mind. So there's certainly things that need to be addressed I, I wouldn't dispute that but I think the notion that snooker is dying is, is just nonsense just utter nonsense um, it's actually on a very sound footing but any sport obviously needs events for the public to understand that it's doing well and we d- it's true we don't have enough that's, that's I wouldn't argue with that we don't have enough the next year is going to be interesting do we do we have more added do we sort of limp on like this? It may come to a head if things don't improve. Um, so it's something of a crossroads. Uh, we'll get through this season, see what next season looks like. Let's uh, just change the subject. Mark and John, now I met, I met Mark and John in York, and uh, they went to the Masters. They say, well, it was sad to hear your email from James. Now, this is James Wan, who wrote in a few weeks ago, um, who uh, was saying that... He, well, I'll just read the email. He explains it. says, I was saddened to hear your email from James saying that being Chinese, he now feels uncomfortable attending tournaments on his own since the betting scandal was announced. We recently attended the Masters with our friend from Singapore and saw no hint of abuse, but of course, understand, James cannot help feeling as he does. We attend several tournaments each year and we'll be happy if you could pass this email address to James. Maybe we could meet him at a venue if he wishes and enjoy meeting another snooker fan and maybe we can help him regain his confidence. Well, it's very kind of you. If James wants to email in, I'm happy to uh, to pass on the uh, pass on the message to you, uh, to him. Um, so, uh, James, if you're listening, do uh, do let us know. Uh, now then, Fion Lynch. So, me emailing in regards to the broadcasting of the ITV events in Ireland. I find it very unusual that ITV is listed as the official broadcaster of the British Open, the Champion of Champions, the World Grand Prix, the Players' Championship and the Tour Championship in Ireland. ITV is not available on Irish TV and the ITV hub is region blocked. I don't understand how they can be the official broadcaster for a country they're not broadcasting to. I'd love to hear your opinion on this and hope that you have a solution for how I can watch these events as they all seem as though they're excellent showcases of this brilliant sport. 
Well, thank you, Phil. Now, my understanding is, and you'll correct me, I'm sure, if, if I'm if I'm wrong, but I'm, my understanding was you can access ITV in Ireland through Sky, and I would imagine other other broadcasters on the satellite um, platform. Possibly not through what we might what we might call normal telly, but I I, I was always under the impression you could watch it on Sky because I know people in Ireland who watch the snooker, so they watch it somehow. <laughs> they watch it somehow, so I was assuming that's how they watch it. Um, now you may say, "Well, I don't want Sky," which is perfectly, you know, fine. You don't want to spend the money, but I believe that that is how you can watch it. Um, and someone suggested that you can, and again, you know, this may be wider than art, but you can tune in, for example, ITV4 on on if it doesn't sort of come up manually, uh, you know, automatically, you can tune it in. This may be wrong, um, but uh, we do have viewers in Ireland. So anyone in Ireland who watches snooker on ITV, maybe we could help Fionn. Um, how are you watching it? Because I, I was always under the impression you could do. We're going to end with the big issue, I think. Uh, we can all agree this has been the big issue in snooker in the last couple of weeks. And it's from Martin Eccles. It's actually in Carlo in Ireland. He said, after Stephen Hendry, after Stephen Hendry's master singing, which was great, do you think it was fair of him not to tell Will Snooker the truth? I know he got fined for missing matches, fair enough, but lying, is that okay? Well, this was Stephen Hendry, <laughs> who there's a program called The Mass Singer, okay, which is on ITV. It's popular in America. It's popular here, and celebrities go on, they sing, but they're disguised, and then a panel panel has to guess who they are, and then it gets revealed who they are. Stephen went on it. Now this was an extraordinary business. He was singing as a rubbish bin, he sang Robbie Williams uh, and the Kaiser Chiefs, I believe, and he did My Old Man's a Dustman. <laughs> Stephen Hendry, by the way, um, and it was revealed he was on it. But he, here's the thing: I mean, I spoke to him about it, and he was saying you have to sign all sorts of non-disclosure agreements. Basically, you cannot tell anybody. He literally couldn't tell his family, couldn't tell anybody, because it can't leak out. So he couldn't tell Will Snooker because, okay, you, you could say, look, I'll tell you in confidence, but let, let's think about it. Okay, so he'd say he tells, you know, the lady who takes his call, who, who does the entries. Can't tell anyone. Okay, fine, I won't tell anyone. But she goes home, she says, look, she says to her husband, look, can't tell anyone this, but Stephen Henry's on the mass singer. I won't tell anybody, no, no problem. He then, you know, sees his brother. Oh, by the way, Stephen, don't tell anyone, but Stephen Henry's on the mass singer. Won't tell anyone. He tells someone who tells, uh, it gets out, doesn't it? It gets out. So the only way it can't get out is to keep it a secret, which he did. Um, and, you know, <laughs> that's just... It was a weird reason not to play in tournament, but that was the reason he did have to pull out of a couple. He got fined. Um, obviously, they didn't know when they fined him, so they were just following the rules. It seems kind of ridiculous, looking back, that, that, that that's the reason to be fined. But, you know, rule, rules is rules and all that. Um, but Stephen Hendry on the Mass Singer. <laughs> uh, yeah, we were there when it was revealed, because it, it was revealed in Cheltenham, and it was extraordinary business. Nobody knew. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was... Uh, it was an extraordinary business, but I think you say lying, but actually he had to. It's more that he couldn't tell the truth, really. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, maybe uh, maybe singing was the new career for Stephen. Well, the next event uh, is the German Masters, which is this week, and it's an interesting field. Obviously, you know we've got some very well-known players. We've got some lesser-known players. We've also got Jimmy White's qualified. Obviously, Chris Wakelin is there. At the back of the shootout. It's an opportunity for someone perhaps to be another first time ranking event winner imagine if Chris won back to back titles I'd have to read that thing out again from the website uh, <laughs> um, 
But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. But on Eurosport, Discovery Plus, and uh, the usual other platforms around the world. And then uh, off the back of that, uh, we have uh, the Championship League uh, next week. That's the latest round of that. Uh, and then it's the Welsh Open, then it's the Players' Championship. So there is a lot of snooker around. Um, you have to be in those events, though. Otherwise, if your player has not made any of them, obviously, you know, it's no good. And, and that's, as I say, that's the kind of challenge going forward is to try and try and fill the calendar up. But as I say, it's not easy. People, anyone online who tells you it is, uh, you can guarantee, do not have any experience putting events on. Um, it's a laborious, expensive process to get snooker tournaments on. And uh, we have quite a few, but obviously we want more. And uh, that's entirely uh, entirely understandable. Um, it's a shame about Turkey, you know, because that was a new event. It was, you know, an ex- exciting kind of place to go to, lovely place to go to. Let's hope it's back on the calendar. No offence to Leicester, but that, that WST Classic is not quite as glamorous. But at least there's a tournament on. And as I say, I thought it was, um, I thought it was a good move to put that event on. It does give people extra opportunity it won't stop half of them moaning about it because that's the, the game we're in i'm afraid but none of that helps you know like i say and uh, feel free to email in we want solutions we don't want constant reminders of what the problems are we want solutions um and that's what we need going forward uh, this podcast is not scripted you may you may have reached that conclusion yourselves um so that's it congratulations again to chris Wakelin. uh we move on uh, whatever that means. And, uh, yeah, see you next week. For now though, oh yeah, we're members of the, proud members of the Sports Social Network. Check out their other podcasts. Uh, you can email us, snookerscenepodcast.mail.com. That's snookerscenepodcast.mail.com. And, uh, one last word on the shootout, by the way. I thought what, what, and I know I worked for Eurosport, so this is kind of, <laughs> it's blowing smoke in a way, but I thought it was great to see all the players interviewed. We, we interviewed Michael McMullen, interviewed the, the, the winners and the losers. We heard a lot of people talk who you never, never hear a word from normally. Um, they all got a chance to be part of it. You know, obviously, they all played on the same table. They all got a chance to be, you know, to have their say. I thought that was a really good move. Um, if you've got Discovery Plus, there's no ad- advert, so you can watch all of that between matches. And also, a shout-out to uh, Rachel Casey, who introduced it all. Pro- possibly the hardest tournament to present that, because you're in the middle of that absolute din, the noise in there. Um, all that going on behind you, you've got to, you know, focus on so many different players. And um, and she was brilliant. Um, and I believe will be presenting the World Pool Championship on Sky this week. So uh, a little uh, change of cue sports for Rachel, but I hope she enjoys that. Uh, but in the meantime, anyway, I think I was saying goodbye. So I will conclude that, and uh, we'll see you next week. Goodbye, bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. 
Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.